Uh, we're doing this series, like I said, Being the Church, and we're kicking this off with an all-in service because we want to talk about what it, really where it starts and where we need to start with this thought of how we be the church. And it starts with just the concept and the idea of us being what God calls us to be, His hands and feet, and it starts with connecting and doing community well. So I invited someone, James Duff, the person who I have heard talk about discipleship and community uh, on several occasions and hearing his heart for it. Uh, I, I had no problem being like, hey, this guy can do it better than I can. And so uh, I wanted him to come and share his heart on this, uh, which I know it's his heartbeat. And so uh, would you welcome James Duff, Pastor James Duff. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bible, would you open to Acts chapter 2? Uh, Today is the first day of 2023, if you didn't know that. Uh, and the new year, it's always an interesting time of year where kind of we evaluate last year and all that we did. We make resolutions about the new year. And <clears throat> this whole idea of resolutions is, is kind of an interesting choice of word because what resolution really means is that we're resolved to do something or to not do something. And often we make resolutions to do something and we end up not doing those things as the year uh, kind of progresses. And typically, uh, these resolutions that we make, they, they're things like we're changing patterns in our life, maybe they're bad habits, uh, maybe sins, maybe lifestyle choices, body image, weight, diet, exercise, maybe you're looking for a new job or a new way to work and rest, uh, to shift maybe family rhythms. I think for a lot of us, uh, those resolutions often don't last a long time. Anybody made one yet and you've already broken it today? <laughs> yeah, some of us have. And so we have to ask, why do we do that? And I really believe the heart of most of our failed resolutions are wrapped up in two things. First, we try to change our external life without changing our internal heart and mind. We try behavior modification without any heart healing. And the second, I think, is that we often try to do it alone. In order to change most things in our life, we do need the support of another person. Someone that's isolated is bound for failure. Uh, for many years, you know, I've wanted to uh, get into shape. And I've tried it various times without any success. Has anyone else had this experience? I'll take your laughter as a yes. Well, in October, I have a friend uh, who's helping me train for a half marathon that actually Corby's doing with me as well. And his support and his coaching uh, has been a huge help. Uh, I've lost weight, I'm getting in shape, uh, and I'm getting to run this half marathon, but I would have never done this on my own. I would have been bound for failure. You know, any change in life takes commitment from the person trying to change and a commitment from the person helping them and loving them in that change. You know, God did not create us to live isolated lives. He made us to live with family, with him, and with others. And so as we dive into this passage this morning, and we're going to explore the early church and the shifts and the changes they made uh, to Jesus and to one another, 
we're going to see, see pictures of how they lived 2,000 years ago. Life was different then. It's not the same as it is today. But I think the ideas and the concepts that are here can help us as we move into 2023. And I want to start with asking two questions for you. And not talking about any external changes in your life, but two questions that are really going to get after your heart and your lifestyle. And so what would it look like in 2023 if you stopped thinking about what you can do, but who you could become instead? If you gave your time to sit in the presence of Jesus in order to learn how deeply he loves you and to connect your heart and his life to yours? And who would you also become if not only you did that, but you began to give everything back to Jesus that he has given to you to sustain in order to love those people around you in your community and your neighborhood and your family and to connect them with the gospel. So look with me in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, and I'm gonna try to work my way through this passage quickly this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts." praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God, be with us this morning as we open your word. I pray that you give us an open heart to absorb what you have for us in your name. Amen. And when I read this passage, it really stirs something deep within me. I often process what it would be like to live in this time period and live in this church family with all the joys and all the sufferings that they had to go through. It seems that there was deep, deep devotion to one another and to Jesus. And I believe many of our hearts long for the same thing, to do life with Jesus and others in a deep way. I think too often we neglect that longing that's within us and we often replace it with superficial activity and surface type relationships. But I believe deep down, deep down in your heart, deep down in your soul, in the secret places of life, we know that it's a longing that needs to be satisfied. I wanna draw your attention to two words in verse 42. Luke starts off and he says, they devoted themselves. That word devoted means to persist. And the word persist means to be insistent on. It's a repetition in life over and over again. It's this idea to keep leaning in, to keep pressing in no matter what's going on in your life. It's a devotion to someone or something that stays with it. It overcomes in hard times. It's living as good family does. But with every good family, there's a little bit of messiness. Did anybody experience that over the holidays? A little bit, maybe? 
There, there's a messiness when we do life with people and we love them and we care for them. The second word is in verse 44, and it's the word together, which in the Greek means pertaining to that which is identical. In other words, what the author is saying is that they were unified in the way they did life together. There was not just a unity, but a repetitious way of doing life together. It's like muscle memory that becomes second nature. Uh, How many of you think about how you brush your teeth still? Or do you just pick up the toothbrush, toothpaste, and you just get after it? Or how many of you, when you tie your shoes, you know, you do the, I don't even know what it is, like the rabbit through the hole, whatever. But no, you you just end up tying your shoes. It's muscle memory. You could do it in your sleep. It becomes second nature. And so this church in Acts, they were devoted together in this way of life. Now, whenever you read the Bible, you want to ask questions. It's the best way to study the Bible. So let's just ask a few questions about what the author is saying. What were they devoted to? Well, first, the apostles' teaching. They were getting together to discuss the apostles' teaching, that they would have heard about Jesus and his way of life. Now, who are the apostles? Well, they were a group of people who spent time with Jesus or whose maybe life was divinely changed by the Spirit of God, and they gave him special revelation. Think about the disciples. Think about the apostle Paul and a few others. So the early church, if you can picture this in your mind, is sitting around saying, well, the apostle said this about Jesus, and Jesus said this. What do we do with this? How do we live this out? How is this going to shift my life and my heart and my relationships? And they were persistent in it. They were devoted to it. You know, when we get together as a church family and we're interacting with one another, it's, it, it's often, if we're honest, it's often just at a surface level. Like when you all shook hands today. Oh, how was your New Year's? Oh, it was good. Surface. When you interact with each other outside, it's often surface relationships. You know, if you're involved in any social media, it's all good things, right? It's often just surface things. And so what we're saying and what this author is saying is that we don't need more surface type relationships. We need deep, intimate relationships that we have on a regular basis that are consistent. Church, I think we desperately need to get beyond surface relationships. What would it look like for the church to have a devoted group of people who you actually did life with? The ups and the downs, the exciting times and the monotonous times? What would it look like to be devoted to a group of people and have a group of people devoted to you where you can discuss who Jesus is and what he's done and what he is doing and what one day he will do? And church, I think we live in a lonely world where we feel connected to a lot of people on the surface, but probably I would wager that we are probably the most disconnected people at the deeper levels of the heart. 
And it's because I think we often are spread wide and thin with relationships. We don't have many relationships where we can sit and share deep, deep things with, where we can sit and laugh and cry with people, where we can share with others our hurt and our pain and our sins and our struggles, where we can be honest and open with, with no judgment in return, but only a, a listening ear and a loving response rooted in the gospel of Jesus, where our heart and our mind feel safe and secure, where we can celebrate with extravagant joy with one another in the good things in life. And what would it look like for you to be devoted to one another at this kind of a level? I know for me it would just be incredible. It would be wonderful and really what my heart and my life really needs, a devoted church family to, to tend to my heart and for me to be a person who reciprocates that to them. What you'd end up having is all these pockets of people all over the community of Mannheim who are loving one another together for the gospel of Jesus. But remember, being devoted to something has this repetitive nature to it. Here they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what they were studying other than the life of Christ and what he taught. But we do have the result of what those teachings bore out in their lives. So look with me. The outflow of their devoted togetherness was they studied the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, which was meals together, communion, and prayers. Now, if you look closely, there is an order here. I don't think it's a prescription of order, but it's a natural outflow of what they were doing. So they got together, studied the teachings, which when you open God's word in a, any consistent, repetitious way, things will happen. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living, it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, to the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's powerful. That's what happens when you get together to study God's word. It should dive deep into the marrow of your bones and your soul to change the way that you live. In other words, God pierces through all the walls and the, and the calluses and the, the secrets that we've put up. And as Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'm gonna put in you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh is, is moldable, it's open, it's pliable. And if you're consistent in your time and, and in the presence of Jesus, both alone and with others, eventually the spirit of God is gonna move within you in a deep way that's gonna change the way that you live, the way that you see the world, the way that you interact with people, your family, your husband, your wife, your kids. It's gonna change you. And you're gonna become more like Christ to love them. Now, whenever you study God's word, Richard Foster in his classic book uh, says that there's a few ways to really study God's word. You may wanna jot these down, but repetition. Study takes repetition because repetition ingrains a habit in your life. It takes concentration. Centers the mind on what's repeatedly being studied. It clears the mind from distraction. 
And there's comprehension. I have a hard time comprehending things. Is anybody else? I'm the only one. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you guys all comprehend everything. But comprehension is this moment where growth begins to happen in your life. And so it's this repetition, it's this concentration, and then this comprehension that happens. And then reflection with what you're studying. The comprehension actually begins to define who you are. And so as you comprehend God's word, it's gonna change who you are and begin to define you, hopefully, into the likeness of Christ. Study is essential, both alone and together, to be with Jesus. But I really believe that most growth happens inside of a community of people. Because whatever you study together is what you're gonna conform to together. So if you study the love of Christ as a group of people, hopefully you're gonna conform to the love of Christ as you go out in your day to day. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 tells us that the people of God did this over and over again and they put reminders of God all around their lives and homes. Their study was everywhere. It was on their doorposts and they talked about it when they walked and when they lied down and they taught it to the, those that are younger than them. They not only studied God's word, but they fellowshiped in it. It became a way of life for them. Fellowship is this word that means they were bound together, sharing life, sharing resources. But in order to do that, you have to be together. You have to spend time together. And if you're like me, when I'm with people, uh, it's more enjoyable to be with people when you're eating and, and having drinks and dessert and those types of things, isn't it? No? Okay, good. You guys are still with me. I know it's New Year's, right? <clears throat> It is, right? It's good to sit around a table and to, and to share stories. There's something about that that opens us up to one another. It's both the, the quantity of time it takes to eat together and the quality of time that's created when you share stories about life for an extended amount of time. I believe most of our lives need less and less of just the quick conversations and more of the deep conversations. It needs more about the real truths that are going on in our life. More about maybe even the hard things about life. The good is easy to talk about. And not that you ignore the good, but the good I think in our lives is, is often exalted and the hard is often ignored. And I really believe if we would realize that our commonness is not only Jesus, but it's also our brokenness and our heart and our mind and our hurt and our pain and our struggle, the church would really open itself up, not just to one another, but they would begin to see that the world is not just a place where we judge their brokenness, but we step into their brokenness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would open us up to the healing power of Jesus in our lives. And I believe this is where Jesus sits and he lives. He comes to the broken. He comes to the sick. And if Jesus is present there, we should be too. Henry Nouwen says, what an enormous, important spiritual journey it is when we discover that where our healing begins is where our joy is actually 
rooted. Not in where you are different from people, but where you are the same. And we're the same because we're broken, in desperate need of a loving Savior. You know, so much time is spent on work, on all, on all our differences as people, all our rights and our individuality and our identity and the like. Everyone's trying to create themselves when Jesus is trying to create a body of people, a family of people, not a bunch of individuals, but a family. You know, the brokenness in our world is a direct result of the separation and individuality people are trying to create. When what we were really created to do is be together. And what the church should be recognizing and embracing is that we live in communities of brokenness with Jesus as our healer. Much of the issues today would probably begin to heal and resolve themselves if we were more invested in our communities than in our differences and our individuality. More would be healed if we would invest in our brokenness of people than all the good things in our life. You know, for me and my family, a lot of this time and this togetherness and commonality happens around the table at my home where bread is broken, stories are shared, and you begin to hear the stories of another, their heart, their mind, where Jesus comes and heals. You know, church, every time that you sit down for a meal together, you can actually celebrate that God has provided food to sustain you for his work at hand. You can remember as you eat food, his body was broken. Every sip that you take of a drink, you can remember that his blood was shed and that you have freedom in life in him to share that with others. So church, how are we doing in these areas? When was the last time that you broke bread with someone? Maybe the church family, maybe a neighbor, where the conversation was rich and deep. Do you have rhythms of life, of being together, to be devoted to the teachings of Jesus, to practice a life on mission together filled with prayer for one another and for the community? Because when you live this way, look what happens as it did here in Acts. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul. This awe is a result of a life devoted together on mission in the community. You ever see something incredible and you try to tell somebody else how incredible it was and they're like, I, I, I don't know, like, okay, I'm glad that that was awesome for you. They weren't there to experience it. But here they're experiencing Jesus and the spirit of God move in their lives and awe comes about them. And look what they end up doing. They begin to pray for one another in those things and the things that they're going through in their life. They're beginning to see friends and families and neighbors' lives change to the heart of Jesus. There was answers for provision and healing and care and comfort and joy and forgiveness and salvation and kindness were all being answered in and through their lives. It was an awe-filled moment. And I think if we were here, we would be filled with awe as well. You know, I think when we read this, I know for me, I get excited and and I go, wow, like what would it look like if the church began to live this way? And then I think you walk away and it dwindles because 
of work or whatever happens during your week, and because we're so isolated as people. And I believe if we would begin to commit to one another, this would change. You could walk through hard times with people. You could walk through the joys of life with people. Being a committed, consistent group of people that loves one another. Is Mannheim BIC ready for that kind of commitment to one another? Do you have people around you that you're faithfully committed to? People to walk in awe and through the difficult times. Because more often than not, it's gonna be the weekly, the daily, uninspiring moments of commitment to one another that is gonna prepare you for the awe type of moments where you're gonna see people healed and come to Jesus and provided for and needs being met. And you're gonna see yourself going, I can't believe that I loved that person. I, like don't, I don't even like them, but all of a sudden my heart is loving them and being kind to them. There's gonna be these awe moments in your life because of the deep commitment to one another and to Jesus. You know, I think we're often committed to so many other awe-inspiring moments. Like who's gonna win the football game or the TV show that we love or the social media or the drink or the drug or a secret or a sin or your possessions or your money and those are the things that fill us with awe. Awe today often comes in the form of anything that will satisfy you for a moment and you hold those things in awe up here where they should never be. And what happens is you spend more time trying to chase the awe of worldly things rather than just accept the awe that God has already given you in Jesus Christ, his Savior. Our awe in Jesus has become sporadic at best. It often has to happen on a Sunday to keep you coming back. But what if all was less about the spectacular and more about the simple things of life? Maybe where you just feel loved and accepted. Maybe that would be awe for you. Maybe where you feel loved. Maybe where you are just somebody that needs to be recognized, noticed. That would be an awe moment for you. Maybe for you, it's an awe moment that Jesus has reached down to save you from your sins and your struggles. And what does this do? Look with me in verse 44. They were sharing all of these things with one another. They were living these generous lives. Maybe for you, it's living generously where you are, to your kids, to your spouse, to your neighbor. Maybe it's when you go out to eat, rather than give 20%, you give 50% as a tip. Some of you are like, whoa, let's not get crazy. <laughs> but why not? Why not give what Jesus has given you? Church, when we come here on Sunday and we consume the Lord into our heart and mind, we need to scatter from here and use what we have consumed. These people were doing this day by day, it says. They were going to the temple. They were gathering in each other's homes. And they had favor with all people. 
Do you know why they had favor with all people? Because they lived generous lives, loving people with all that they had, both in their character, who they are, and in their material possessions. People were coming to Jesus, demonstrating with practical needs and declaring with the story of Jesus who he is. So do you see the rhythm? They're meeting together, they're gathering together, they're giving things away, they're meeting each other's needs. Wouldn't this be an incredible community to be part of? Where you don't actually have to be worried about a thing because you know the church community is gonna take care of you. And I think when we look at this passage and we look out on the landscape of the church, we have to ask, is our number being added to daily? And if it's not, why? Why are people not going, I want what that church family has? Why are they not riveted by the way that we live our lives? Why are they not just like, I, I don't know what you, what's in you or what you have, but I've got to have it. What is it? And you just simply can say, Join us on this journey with Jesus and see people's lives being changed. You know, everyone sitting here this morning needs community, needs acceptance, a place where they can be vulnerable. The church is an incredible group of people with many gifts and talents. And together it creates a beautiful picture of who Jesus is as we use our gifts and our resources and talents to the world to show the unity and the love of Jesus Christ. And I believe if we live this way, church, the Lord would add to our number day by day. The church would grow not just in number, but it would grow in love. It would grow in generosity. It would grow in healing and so many more things. If you pause for a moment this morning, church, you took a breath, stopped worrying about everything you've got to do later today or this week. You paused your anxiety and stress, your sins and your struggles. You took a deep breath and listened to your soul and the spirit of God. I believe you would hear a longing for this kind of life. A life within us that is Jesus Christ. Church, wouldn't this just be incredible? You know, I think one of the, the greatest apologetics in the church today is that we would live this way. That people wouldn't just see church people as people that show up to a building on Sunday morning or that you're defined by what church you go to. But you're defined and, and, you're, and, you're, and you grow in, 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 as a people of God that's loving and caring. Because if you pause, church, you would see that your heart is deep, it is complex, it's intricate, it's sensitive, 
and it desperately needs Jesus and others to step into those places. If you took that breath and you paused it and, and, and just took a, an assessment of that, what surfaces? What surfaces? What do you need, church? Where is your heart? And you have to do this in community. You have to do this in community. Praying together, studying, confessing, sharing, meeting the needs, seeing awe and wonders and and miracles happen around them. That's what the apologetic, that's what's gonna show people who Jesus really is in our world. Church, all of this stuff in Acts chapter two that we just talked about, they're good works. Ephesians 2.10, this is my my favorite passage in in the scriptures. It says this, for we are his workmanship, which means he's created you with gifts, with resources, with things in your life. He's designed you a certain way in his image to reflect him. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, look at this next part. It says, which God prepared, what's the word? Beforehand, that you should walk in them. The good works are not for you to create. The good works are actually sitting there waiting for you to take hold of. They're already there, church. And so as you leave this place this morning, circle back to those first two questions. What would your life look like if you began to spend time with Jesus? You paused things in your life, carved out time. You know what, church? Forget the diet, the exercise, whatever else you want to change. Because that will all fail unless you do it with Jesus. You have to know the heart of Jesus in order for any of those other things to work. What would it look like for you to do that on a daily, regular basis? And then second, what would it look like for you to grab a few people and say, hey, you know what? Let's begin to see what Jesus is saying, not just to me, but to us as a people. And you begin to live that out as a, in a life on mission and community to be the church and not just do church things, but be the church. Because when you are the church, it's easy to do the good works that Jesus has already prepared for you. You just have to grab hold of them. That's all you need to do. They're sitting waiting for you. So church, as you move into 2023, are you willing to sacrifice time to be with Jesus on your own? Are you willing to sacrifice consistent time to invest in another's life so that the heart of Jesus can be expressed through the body of Christ, the church, both here and in the community? 
Because if you do that, this town, Mannheim, it will change. It'll change for the gospel of Jesus when the church grabs hold of Jesus and hold of one another and goes out on mission for him. Amen? God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we can come and study it and look at it. May we be a people that loves you deeply and loves others deeply in order that those that don't yet know Jesus may come to know you. Lord, let us be that light in your name. Amen.